Welcome to DMs of Vancouver. The show we talk to our awesome friends and amazing guests about how to help you become a better GM for your tabletop games or review games that we've played recently from a GM and a player perspective. I'm Jesse Boros and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Sean Hagen and my pronouns are also he, him. We're your co-hosts for this podcast and we've got another great episode for you. This podcast is recorded and produced on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. Today we're talking about generic games, that is, games that aren't tied to a specific genre or setting. D&D is pretty tied to fantasy and Shadowrun to cyberpunk, but what if you wanted to run a high fantasy western punk game, or science fiction Victorian gothic horror? Generic games have got you covered. To talk about generic RPGs today, we are joined by Graham Barber, pronouns he, him. Graham will tell us about the benefits and drawbacks of generic RPGs, as well as letting us know about just a ton of different systems. A ton. So many. We, <laughs> we hope you enjoy the show. Roll for initiative! Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! So, hey Graham, how's it going? It's going well yourself. Good. Uh, so... We're talking about generic RPGs today, and I guess the first question that we've got, just so that we're all on the same page, is what is a generic RPG? A generic RPG is a role-playing game system that is a standalone uh, by itself, designed to be used for multiple genres of uh, gaming. So like where like cyberpunk is obviously for cyberpunk gaming and D&D really does well in, uh, in fantasy, a generic RPG uh, would be able to do cyberpunk or fantasy or a weird combination of both. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, uh, sorry, Sean, go ahead. I was just going to ask really quickly, is there any games that people might be familiar with that uh, they might not realize are generic RPGs? Um, I think the biggest one that people would probably be like familiar with right off the hop is um, Fantasy Flight's games, or I guess Edge Studios game now, um, their Star Wars game is based on the Genesis system. Okay. Uh, which is a generic RPG. And so if you've seen that or played that, you've already got a pretty good lock on what um, a generic game can do. Okay. Is that the the Star Wars game that includes Edge of the Empire? Uh, it might be. I'm not. It's, it's been a long time since I've played Star Wars games. <laughs> okay. Cause I, think, uh, I think that is the one that Fantasy Flight put out. I think it was one of the... Because they did, uh, Fantasy Flight did like three different games that were basically the same thing. Just like mm-hmm. one of them you're playing as Rebels, one of them you're a Jedi. And I think that was, yeah. Anyways. Uh, what are some of the upsides of using a generic RPG? Well, some of the upsides for it is um, it's one system. Uh, so instead of having to learn and relearn different systems as you want to try different uh, genres of game games out, you can just stick to one that everybody's already familiar with. Um, and so it tends to cut down on it's a price savings, <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, tends to make, at least in my experience, tends to make things a little smoother at the table. 
when you switch between genres. So like you can finish a fantasy campaign, then roll into a science fiction one or like an urban fantasy one. And everybody's already familiar with the system. Um, so you can have more fun with your storytelling, get more variety into your gaming without having to necessarily switch systems up. That makes sense. And like, I can see, you know, you have players sometimes that like to make the same kind of character every time, or at least mechanically mm -hmm. similar. It would be easy for them to do that because it's at the end of the day, the same kind of system. Exactly. So yeah, if you find something that's really comfortable for you and can find ways to translate it into other genres, then yeah, it absolutely provides you a, a conduit to do that. Uh, I guess something I'm curious about is um, like when you have a a system that's kind of meant to do, uh, I guess a single genre is the best way to put it. Like, you know, D&D &D is kind of fantasy and like you said, cyberpunk is uh, like Shadowrun is for cyberpunk games, stuff like that. Um, when it comes to a generic game, have you found uh, that you've mixed genres at all? Or is that uh, not something that you've done very much oh absolutely um way back uh when i was running uh, tristat dx games uh, which was a old uh generic game system from like 2003 uh i was science fantasy all the way like it was heavily inspired by games like uh fantasy star uh, and fantasy star online from sega and um like the final fantasy games and stuff like that and it was absolutely uh, a mix of things and it ran great okay um what are, I guess, what are some of the downsides to using a generic RPG um, compared with something that's like like D&D &D or Shadowrun that's very focused on a single genre? One of the things, one of the issues they have is that um, they're, they're not truly generic in the sense that there's still biases that go into the design of them. Right. And so depending on what the game designer's biases are can affect uh, the sort of gameplay that it excels at and str or, or uh, struggles with and so you really have to recognize where the game shines and where it has trouble um before you like leap into it another factor is that there tends to be a little bit more heavy lifting on the part of the game master um, the game master will usually have to do more creative stuff and create more things um than they would with a system where everything's pre-made and set like the, for example i've got um you know the Cort cortex uh game is on my shelf right now it's a fantastic game but if i want to run something for it i have i'm going to have to make the monsters if i want to do fantasy i'm going to have to create the aliens and robots for science fiction all that sort of thing so there's that added bit of heavy lifting but offsetting that fortunately is a lot of these games have really good communities and a lot of um material and ideas online so that how that that's uh, been a huge help for these uh for generic games as like the internet's gotten better, uh, they've become so much easier to run. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was thinking about uh, the Cypher system because I've played Numenera and it's based on the the Cypher system, which mm -hmm. in the Cypher system rulebook, like as you flip through it, it's got pictures of all kinds of games being run in different genres, like, you know, Wild West and fantasy and science fiction. And what you said is completely true about there being certain kinds of stories that a system can tell better than others because in the cypher system you're telling a story of these characters are like above average they are really good at what they do so you can't really tell the you know the story of the level one character that you could in like D D. but there are probably systems out there that would let you do that there are there are um open legend is a good example of uh, a generic game that sort of straddles that divide um in that it is generic, but there are levels in it as well. Um, so 
as your character develops, as you spend experience points to get better at things, you go up in levels. Um, and that sort of, that lets you tell those um, lower level, uh, grittier sorts of stories. Um, then there's other games like uh, Fate that, because they're more narrative based and less, uh, less crunchy uh, mechanically, they can deal with that swing uh, between like gritty and super heroic a lot more easily. Right. You know, in preparation for this, I was thinking of all the generic systems I knew, and I can't believe I forgot Fate. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've only played it the once, I, which is probably a big part of that. But <laughs> So something I'm curious about is, are there systems, like game systems, that show up more often in generic RPGs that you've seen? or Or is it kind of like the mixed bag of there's not really a mechanic that shows up specifically in generic games because it shows up in all games or anything like that. I, I have found, uh, especially now, um, that it is a giant mixed bag. Um, it was like back when I sort of got started and was getting started in the hobby, if you wanted a generic game, the only one that was really available was GURPS. Like that right. was it. <laughs> um, and it's, but now, um, like in two, I think it was 2003 was like the year generic RPGs, like in the middle of the D20 boom, all of a sudden you had like Tri-State, Tri-State DX, Fate, uh, which is based on the old fudge game. Um, and then Savage Worlds all get released. And they all took radically different routes for doing things. Like Tristat DX was uh, like a point-based, uh, semi-crunchy system. Um, Fate is like loose and narrative-based. And then Savage Worlds has just got its own thing going on with like cards, dice, and poker uh, poker chips and everything. Okay. <laughs> and since then, it's just sort of kept on going out like that. Um, so like... Uh, I'm just looking up at uh, up up at the wall here, or up at the bookshelf here beside me, and looking at the generic games. And like Genesis has its own narrative dice uh, that have unique symbols on them, so it doesn't even use regular dice. Um, what's it? Uh, Cortex um, uses uh, uses re- uses regular dice. Open Legend uses, I think it's D20s in that one. And yeah, then there's like D6s, D6 systems, and uh, Fate dice. So. Yeah, it's really, it's actually something I really come to appreciate Like this year reading all these generic games is how different they all are and how they all approach, um, take different approaches to getting things done. Are there mechanics that you think work better in generic games because you're not tied down by a specific genre? Yes, um, I find that um, the mechanics for um, combat, vehicles, and like anything science fiction-y tend to be better um, in generic games um, because they usually cover a nice, a nice wide swath of stuff and they run pretty smoothly, at least in my experience. Um, whereas in like science fiction specific games, um, they'll tend to do a few things really well, but I've run into like, like I love Traveler, for example. Uh, it's a great game. Building vehicles in it is a screaming nightmare of math <laughs> and sadness. Um, <laughs> it sounds like character creation in Eclipse phase. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's, this just reminds me that like you get the kind of that on either side with a more specified game. You have ones with very specific, uh, vehicle rules, which can be very frustrating because there's a lot of work or you get ones that are kind of vague. So they don't get used a lot. Like I'm sure D and D five E has vehicle rules, but I couldn't tell you what they were. It, it, well, you'd, you'd have to even even there. You'd have to buy the right book. I think they were in 
the Avernus book. Oh, wow. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> they had like those giant soul powered Mad Max sort of machines in it. That's right. Hmm. When it comes to the things that generic RPGs can do, is there anything that they do better than like a focused game? They usually tend to tell um, different subgenres a little bit better. Okay. Um, so like not not like picking on D&D a bit a little bit here, but like D&D presents itself as being heroic fantasy. Right. And the mechanics of the game are all geared towards that. Um, and if you try to like drop it down to like swords and sorcery, it's okay. But if you start trying to drop it down to like, you know, some really gritty low fantasy sort of stuff, it really struggles because the game design wants your characters to be awesome and wants you to have all these amazing abilities that don't necessarily mix with um with that genre of play um without like stripping stuff out and sort of like nerfing parts of the system whereas with a generic system um it's more scalable so you could scale back say like if it's a point-based system for creating characters you could scale back the points they start with and have a run a really gritty game uh, like that or you could like ramp them right up and have it like high fantasy you know riding dragons into battle the whole nine yards right so they tend to deal with that swing within subgenres a little bit better um than games that tend to be focused in on one genre this is reminding me of one of my like common frustrations with the tabletop community sometimes when you're like i want to run a game that's like this like this kind of genre and so often you get pointed back to well we'll just do it with 5e it's like it's not built for that though <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think part of the confusion from that comes uh, that comes with that is that there's a uh, generic games versus universal mechanics. Right. Uh, because you get a lot of games will and a lot of companies will develop a universal mechanic that they'll apply uh, through a lot of different things. And it sort of gives the illusion that it's a it's a generic thing, uh, whereas uh, a gen an actual generic game is more like a toolbox where you have all the parts and you can assemble them um as needed and then scale them um more readily so i think that's where part of that whole like just doing in 5e things comes from is that because 5e has these has the you know universal mechanic in it people are like well you know it's a universal mechanic why don't you just use it for whatever yeah because like D D does have something in the i think it's in the dm's guide about uh how to introduce like jetpacks and and laser guns yeah and it's like okay you've got two pages of rules for this, but I'm not going to run a science fiction game using D and D. And I'm wondering if like part of the just do it in D and D thing is because, you know, it has such name recognition and there is a lot of content that you can find out there of people trying to do things with D and D and maybe not necessarily su succeeding, but it's easier to find than like, Oh yeah, if you want to run this kind of game, go and use fate or cipher or whatever. Yeah, you're 100% right on that. Um, I think that part of that is carryover from the old D20 boom, when they like introduced the SRD, they introduced the open gaming license and said, you know, our system can do or be anything. You can now make it your own. And people really ran with that. And it really left a mark on the uh, on the hobby. And mm -hmm. I think part of that is carried over into into fifth edition. Um, and people are still continuing, like you said, they're trying to uh, hammer um different genres into a dnd shaped uh mold uh to varying degrees of varying degrees of success mm -hmm. um, yeah i guess the the flip side of the going back to the, the original question is like are there things that uh generic games 
are the only place that you're going to find a certain kind of mechanic or or kind of story that you can tell? Or is it really just it's up to the, the GM and how they use the system? I think it's up to the GM and how they use the system. Um, they can tell more, in my opinion, they can tell more stories and more varieties of stories. Uh, for example, like if you like you, if you want to run mythology uh, games based on mythology, where you have you know like random peasant discovers that they've got to go defeat the dragon to save the village or something like that, it's possible. Um, that's that's a story that you can tell without having to level grind that character up to uh, you know like level fifteen, level twenty, or something like that, so they can actually do it. Uh, so they can do things like that, and at the same time, you can have those uh, those higher level, more powerful stories going on as well. Um, I think that if, if they have a falling down point for the sorts of stories that you can tell with them, it's that they leave it up to you to figure that out. Whereas for example, if you pick up like fantasy age or blue rose or something like that, you immediately know what sort of stories uh, it wants to tell. Same thing. Like if you pick up, uh, you were talking about shadow run earlier. Uh, it takes like five seconds of flipping through the shadow run book and, and you know exactly what's going on. Right. Um, whereas generic games, that's more up in the air. Like that's more left to the, uh, to the game master to figure out what kind of story and, and to the players, of course, what sort of story they want to tell, what sort of world they want to explore. Yeah. I've, I've definitely thought about, you know, the kind of games that I've, I'd like to run. And when I was, when the only game that I really knew how to run was D and D there was games like, well, I can't do that because it doesn't fit into this or there's, you know, I can't do this game because the mechanics aren't right. But now that I've been exposed to a few more games, like I've got, I've now got like fate and the cipher system in my toolbox. So I've got more ability to run games that don't fit into those more specialized genre games. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Graham, can you tell us a bit about some of the generic games you've run, like the specific engines and maybe what stands out about some of them? Okay. Um, So I'll start with an oldie, but a goodie. Um, So TriStat DX. I probably have the most experience with that system. Um, it was created by Guardians of Order way back in the day and was a development of their uh, big eyes, small mouth uh, system. And the other day, there was a whole thing going on, on on Twitter where they were talking about anime role-playing games. And my comment was that, yeah, sure, you can make it work, but it works because you've made a robust generic system and you're just applying anime genres to it. And that's exactly what they did. And so they released the system by itself and it was fantastic. Um, so we ran some science fantasy games with that and some fantasy games with it. And it was phenomenal. Um, my players were mostly used to D and D at the time. So for some of them, this was their first exposure to a a generic role-playing game. Uh, for others, they'd already had like experience with GURPS and stuff like that. And people enjoyed it. Um, they liked the freedom and character creation. They liked being able to experiment with doing different things and trying different stuff out. And, um, and they really liked the development cycle their characters went through because they could, they developed organically following the story and what they were doing in it as opposed to um, simply, you know, like level up. All these abilities go up regardless of whether you've used them or not or find them useful or not. Um, so that was, it was a lot of fun. Um, since then, um, let's see here. I did some Open Legend stuff uh, a few years back and that was really good. Um, open Legend was... Uh, it's a generic game that's sort of a hybrid. Uh, it uses points and levels, uh, as I was talking about earlier. And I used it for a fantasy game, and it was it was good. Like it was really nice. Uh, at the time, all we had was the SRD. I hadn't uh, purchased the actual book, so we didn't <laughs> have the example character classes or, or uh, profession builds or anything. So we just like ran wild with it, and 
again, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, people were getting into it. People were enjoying the, uh, the their ability to um, build characters and engage in these adventures on their own uh, on their own terms. And for me, I really enjoyed as the game master um, creating monsters for it because it was a okay. lot of fun. Like it was the way they put it all together to uh, to create adversaries and create monsters. Just once you get into the flow, you know, like you'll start like, okay, I need this monster. And like an hour later, like, wow, I've made like six different monsters and I'm probably going to make a few more tonight. <laughs> that sounds delightful, actually. It's always, you know, I've mostly run D&D and my problem has always been like when the monsters don't quite do what I need them to do, mm. even if I'm reskinning them, it's always it becomes a pain because I kind of got to go through five or six books and find all that stuff. So like a system that actually kind of makes making those monsters like a fun experience or at least a enjoyable one is something I'm very interested in taking a look at. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, and it also helped too that someone had gone through and uh, they'd converted a bunch of D and D monsters into open legends. So you could see uh, the process through that as well. So it was like, it was, it had examples. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, that were available online. And that was great. Cause I could look at those and be like, okay, I see what they did there. So if I want to, so they did that, I can do this. And that's how this works. It was, yeah phenomenal oh man i sorry i've pulled up the web page for it and i'm looking at their D like class conversion list that they have and they've really gone out of their way to like direct people to think like resources to help them that's very cool it, it is it is like it was i i i was really surprised because not a lot of games will go to, go to that length um and they've actually just come back online too so they were sort of on a hiatus for a while um because the creator had some had some stuff going on in their life uh, but now it's uh, it's back and live, and man, it's cool. Awesome. So there's a question that I had about, um, you talked about the players enjoying a game because they got to grow their characters rather than kind of being confined by like a kind of a strict level up system. Is that the kind of thing that you find more common uh, with generic games you found? Or is that kind it, of just, it depends on the game? It it really, um, that that is, it is a common thing. Uh, a lot of generic systems in my experience um have development mechanics in it that are made so that players sort of develop as they need when they need to and like when they have the ability to develop and it almost always results in characters that are developing with the story with the things that they're doing and at least i've found that players get a lot more into it because they're not like okay you know next level i get powers x y and z i'm only going to use z because the other two aren't really my bag but whatever uh whereas in generic games like okay like I, i've leveled this up but i'm using this a lot so i want to you know i'm going to focus on this skill or this ability next uh to improve it uh so that i can be better at it and it's just it's it's really it's cool to see as a game master because you see people getting into it and not just treating their characters like you know just like a, a piece of paper yeah i think that's one of the things that i always had trouble reconciling it in my head was like okay these characters have been you know traversing the borderlands and they haven't really met anybody how did your character learn this new ability in the last few months and games that kind of leave it up to the player like oh i've been doing this a lot i'm going to make this skill better i really like that because yeah it draws players into the game because they get more control over how their character grows i really like that idea and they can approve upon things that their character is bad at if they've been doing it a lot. Like, yeah, <laughs> we've been traversing the wilderness and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 
born in the city and I was really bad at it. But you know what? We've been doing this for a month and I've learned some things. <laughs> exactly. Are there any other uh, generic games that you've you've played and have enjoyed? Um, I'm hoping to play. I'm right now. I'm reading Genesis, and I'm hoping to try that out with some friends. Um, I really enjoy Fate. Um, I've got uh, Core Condensed and Accelerated. So I've got like three different versions of it, and like to be honest, all three of them are great. Um, Accelerated is really lightweight, and I found it was really good for playing horror games. Uh, if you strip out the um, strip out the stunts okay and have the leave everything else uh, and just have the stunts be like magical things that work once in a while the characters can do it was great uh it was fantastic for playing horror games um and then fate condensed is sort of straddles the line between the full-on fate books and the uh super thin uh accelerated book um and it's really cool uh, and i'm hoping to inflict that on uh on my friends in the near future as well <laughs> so i've got a question about fate um and this feels like it's a, a thing that happens more often with, with narrative games uh, than with other games. But I just, I felt like when I ran a game of Fate, because I ran uh, Atomic Robo for mm. some friends, and it felt like the game almost went too quickly. <laughs> like I was, like, maybe it's just because I've been used to D&D for so long where a fight takes half of a session. But with narrative games, and Fate specifically, I found more than others, it just felt like the game almost went too quickly. Like I felt like it was getting out of, out of hand. Like I was starting to have to run to keep up to how quickly things were going. Is that something you found with, with it, fate and it, it generic is. games? Yeah. Uh, narrative heavy games are absolutely like that. Um, like I, I never really realized how much I relied on like crunchy combat as a pad <laughs> and like a buffer in game to like keep, let, help me keep on track of stuff and everything else like that until it wasn't there. <laughs> Yeah, like this reminds me of uh, a few weeks ago, I ran uh, a pre-written adventure of Troika for Sean and our friend Tori, and it uh, went by in like an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, this is going to be three hours at least, just because it's not heavily combat based and it's very light and quick. And I was just like, oh, no, I didn't write anything for this because I'm just running this pre-written adventure. Um, Yeah, it's it can be it can be brutal. (laughs) Yeah. Because you'll, you'll come in, you're like, yeah, like, I got like hours of material, maybe two sessions. Like two hours later, you're like, hmm, I got to make something up. I need to send everyone out on a smoke break or something. This is, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it it absolutely is is a problem with uh, with narrative games. Um, well, not, I wouldn't call it a problem. It's a uh, it's a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, just because, yeah, when combat isn't there, and especially if you're coming from a D and D background, like a lot of people are, where yeah, like half, like if you get into a fight, that could be half a session easily. Um, you re- yeah, lots of notes is really the only way to get around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, so when I've been expecting it with games, because I've run stuff like I ran Lasers and Feelings a couple times for friends for quick games with almost Ooh. no prep. Uh, like I find if I'm expecting it to go quickly and combat not to take a lot of time, I have an easier time going with it. But in that situation, since I was like, <laughs> oh, this is like, eight pages of adventure this is gonna take forever (laughs) um and then it just didn't that's (laughs) where i tend to have the problem but yeah it was it's like i want to run more narrative heavy games because i enjoy like i enjoy being able to occasionally and i do this a lot even when i'm running DD, is just like look at my players and be like this is the situation you're in talk among yourselves i'm gonna want just sit here and take notes that are not at all related to what you're saying (laughs) when it comes 
for generic games, do you find that they tend to lean more towards the narrative side of things than the the crunchy, or is it an even mix? It's a pretty even mix in my experience. The um, games like Fate and stuff like that tend to be balanced out by games like um, Savage Worlds, where there's definitely some crunch going on in there. And so it really, that's the nice, again, nice thing about generic games is you can find one that matches your your personal tempo and like what your group likes and it's just outstanding when that happens i've i've heard of savage worlds but that's the extent of my knowledge can you tell us a little bit more about it um yeah it it's got a weird background um (laughs) so way back in the late 90s a game called deadlands got released um and there was like two versions of there was like the wild west weird west version and then like the steampunk cyber future of that world (laughs) okay and they developed this whole system around it. Um, and it was because it was supposed to be the Wild West and involved like dice, poker chips and cards, like playing cards. And at some point, someone was like, hey, we could use this for other stuff. And so then like in 2003, they released the first version of Savage Worlds. And it's been around ever since. Um, it's just gone into the Adventure Edition. And it is, at least in my opinion, it is cinematic role playing is its strength. Like it can do all sorts of different genres, but it's like the cinema versions of it. So it's like cinema noir, uh, cinema action, all that sort of thing. Okay. Um, and it, it actually does pretty well. Um, like I've, I've played around with it for fantasy and played around with it a bit. Um, getting ready to, to write about it for, uh, for science fiction and it works. Uh, I even did some writing for it, uh, for a game, uh, called, uh, Archons of Nakud. Uh, which is, I think it's, they're moving forwards with it this year. But like, I, I, I only had like a passing familiarity with the system and I was able to sit down and after about 45 minutes of reading, I was able to write effectively for it, which is a strength that I can't overstate <laughs> uh, for that system. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Where you can like come into it with like, okay, I've heard of this game and I've passing familiarity and then go from that to being like, okay, I have, written i've created a player race the uh, whole background for them and mechanics for them and go i get set oh wow that sounds great i i have a question that uh, your savage worlds kind of remind me and i think it's related to an earlier point you were making about like some games that are like a specialized mechanic that they build a game around and some games that are truly kind of generic mm-hmm. what do you think of games like uh, powered by the apocalypse and uh, i was thinking of another one earlier but i've lost it but powered by the apocalypse which is I think first made for a specific game that they later kind of turned into a toolkit almost. Yeah. It's powered by the apocalypse is kind of weird. Cause it's straddling that line. Okay. Uh, because it's a universal mechanic um, and universal system that's being, but it's being applied successfully to other genres um, and like quite well um, within like the confines of how, how like powered by the apocalypse works uh, and sorts of stories it can tell. Uh, I think, if the, like, um, I think the only point that I would say that where I would try to argue that it's not a generic role-playing game is that it, there's no standalone mechanic system for it. Yeah, that's a thing I had noticed and I had been looking for because like, seeing all these games made from it, uh, uh, lots not by the same publisher, I was like, there must be a rule set somewhere, but it sounds like that's not the case. It, yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat that you are with that. I've been... I spent a huge amount of time trying to find um, like a guidance document or something else like that, but it's just, just not there. 
which I, I mean, I think kind of speaks to the strength of that system is that even without that document, so many people can make really cool games out of it. I just wish that existed somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's so much it, like it's the, the games it produces are like absolutely like their niche. Like they are a, like you're playing a very specific game with each one of them, but wow, do they run well? Yeah. Oh, I know what the other one I was thinking of. It's the forged in the dark system, which I think, Guess was based off of Blades in the Dark. Yes. Um, and that one, um, I I would say that one's definitely leaning further into being a, uh, a generic role-playing game because you can find Forged in the Dark's SRD online. Like, you can find its information, um, and it can work for multiple genres, but I haven't seen a ton of stuff in multiple genres for it yet. Yeah. It, yeah. So it is. It is really cool, though. Yeah. So my only it's it's weird because I haven't played Blades in the Dark, but we did run a game called was it Subway Runner, Sean? Yeah. Um, which was it was part of that big bundle for racial justice on itch.io mm. last year. And it's it's like a 30 page RPG where they, they use those rules and like it's like a dystopian future uh like working for a rideshare kind of thing, except instead you clear monsters out of the subway. Um, and it's just, oh, all... I gotta find that sounds amazing. Oh, it is. I, I, I got that bundle. I need to, I need to find that. Yeah, it, it is great. We, we did an episode on it. If you want to like listen to our impressions of it generally, but it's, it's a lot of fun and it's also highly built on like random character and event generators. Okay. Um, but like it uses that forged in the dark system and I, I haven't played blades in the dark, but I, I know a little bit about it. So I was like, if I hadn't seen that at the end of it when I went through the book, I would not have known. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, so, uh, yeah. That sounds really... I want to check that out now. Yeah, definitely take a look. And uh, I guess for listeners, even if you don't have that bundle, it, it's like 3 or $4. It's not very... It's a pretty cheap game. But it's... Yeah, it was... You know, I've run it two or three times now, and I've had a blast every time. That's fantastic. So something that I'm curious about is kind of a big part of the role-playing world right now is people doing actual plays either podcasts or streaming um have you noticed that if there's a people are more likely to play generic games on actual plays or is it still kind of dominated by D &D? or is there an even mix right now it's um at least from what i've seen for the actual plays it's pretty dominated by D D. um and i mean it's uh i think part of that is the the instant name recognition that D&D has and also that a lot of the top end uh top end like the top ranked actual plays and live plays you can watch tend to be D&D so that's what people are being introduced to and it's what they're trying to emulate um there are some uh coming out uh, that use uh, generic systems like uh Into the Motherlands was a fantastic um live play um that was using the cortex system as base and it was like if you haven't checked it out like check out into the motherlands it was a like star-studded cast uh some like amazing people like um uh tiny the pass uh, cypher of tear was there um what's it i <laughs> know, know a lot of these people by like their twitter names like <laughs> dj dad or dm jazzy hands dj jazzy hands it was just it was great um it was really cool to watch and they're actually moving forwards with uh an end of the motherlands game book now uh for the cortex rpg uh generic game which is just great um so yeah um 
Oh wow, the, I recognize the, a lot of these people. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, the the show was fantastic. Like, definitely check the show out. Um, and it was a really good showcase for the Cortex uh system that was like just coming out at that time. Um, like it was, it's Kickstarter was like sending stuff out while. Uh, that show was going on so people were getting to see how the system actually worked um while their game books were arriving which is really cool so i i think there's definitely a future for generic games it's just that um they need more highlighting really because like there's a lot of them and they're really good and they can do some amazing stuff it's just um name recognition just really isn't a thing for a lot of them mm-hmm. um or if it is it's you know it's instances where you're like oh yeah you know i've, I've heard of this game but that, that you know that's, that's that's as far as it goes so Speaking of the future, uh, are there any mechanics or even just games that you'd like to see more of in the future when it comes to generic games? I would just like to see people using them more, uh, more than anything else, uh, because there are so many people I see like online or run into, um, well, ran into in real life before the pandemic, <laughs> uh, who are always saying stuff like, I wish my game could do this, or I wish I could do this. Or we tried to do this, but it didn't work very well. And there's so many generic games that could fix those problems for people. Um, but there's just it's 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 such an uphill battle getting people to you know not not just like getting people to hear the names of them, but like trying to show them examples because I can go online and in a heartbeat find you know like three dozen examples of Dungeons and Dragons being played, um, you know two dozen examples of Pathfinder being played. Um, a dozen Starfinder, and then it just peters off after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I gotta, I gotta say, I think the most like seen generic RPG is not even a generic RPG, but the Powered by the Apocalypse various games that people are using. Mm-hmm. But even then, we tend to, when we talk about those shows, talk about the specific game as opposed to just the engine they're kind of built with. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Graham, before we start wrapping up here in a moment, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about generic RPGs that we haven't really gotten around to? Um, Try them. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of them them now are offering SRDs or quick start rules or light versions of rules that are uh, free or pay what you want or something like that. Check them out. Um, Give them a shot. Um, Track down like a live play or an actual play like uh, that Into the Motherlands I was talking about and watch how the game plays out and watch how things go and give them a shot because like like you were saying at the way back at the beginning of this uh, uh the beginning of this is that you started out with D&D and now you've got a uh, cipher system and fate and you have all these extra extra skills and tools in your back pocket mm-hmm. um which you know lets you do more stuff and cover more issues um when they when they arise in game and I love that. And I want more people to have that. Is there a game in particular that you'd recommend for folks? Let's give you a more specific question because I, I know <laughs> yeah. you want to recommend all of them because yeah, they all yeah, I'm, I'm like looking at my shelf. I'm like, I can't play favorites. This is <laughs> okay. Uh, so actually I have a very specific example, which I can, I think can leave this in. So, okay. Uh, you know, I have back before the quarantine times, I was running a game and I wanted to try and convince my players to play something other than D&D. And, you know, they're they're relatively new to tabletop in general. They're very focused on D&D. So I kept running it. But what's what would be a good game to introduce to relatively new tabletop players? Relatively new tabletop players? Um, I would go with... Okay, I can cut this down to three. This is a lot easier. Sounds great. <laughs> um, 
for new role players coming into um, and you want to try them out with a generic system, um, I would try out uh, Open Legend, uh, Cortex, or I would do uh, Fate Condensed um, because that sort of gives you a nice spread of uh, different um, levels of crunch and different levels of um, like narrative versus uh, combat storytelling. And it also gives you um, some flexibility to find out what's going on or uh, what your players would prefer without getting too, without getting, without overwhelming them with strange dice or extra stuff at the table. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to plug? Yes. Um, this month, uh, Blue Planet Recontacts Kickstarter is launching. Um, Blue Planet was one of the coolest science fiction role-playing games back in the day. Uh, I did two editions um, and was noted for being one of the most well-constructed worlds in role-playing games, period. Like, both in terms of, like, how the world worked, like, geophysically and with how the people in the world worked. Okay. Um, and it's got, um, the new editions coming out. Um, I'm one of, I'm going to be one of the, uh, extended goals for it, uh, will be me writing for it. It's really cool. Um, it's science fiction. It's underwater. You're a whale, a human or a transhuman or a human animal hybrid or something. It's got a lot going on and check it out. Fantastic. That sounds pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking through their page now and this looks really cool yeah they've uh the quick start rules are on uh drive through rpg right now um it'll and it gives a really good taste of what the game's all about cool cool uh where can people find you online i uh if you type in poc gamer um you can find me on twitter mostly uh facebook's uh less often instagram i swear i will try to be on there more <laughs> uh and i also have a youtube channel uh with a show called lore diver that is about to fire back up Oh, fantastic. Diving into the lore of different games. Awesome. I love lore. I think when it comes to like anything tabletop role playing, I think lore is my favorite part of any game that I've looked at. Big same. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This has been a fantastic talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great talking to you. And um, thank all of you for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to our show. We are proud members of the Cave Goblin Podcast Network. Find us and other shows at cavegoblins.com. You can support us and our network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins or by joining our Discord. You can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, Jesse Boros, or Sean P. Hagen. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. And that's all for this episode. Hope to see you out there at the gaming table. Yeah. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.